It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 128, The Fall of King Solomon. If you read 1 Kings 1 through 10, and then 1 Kings 11, you can't help but scratch your head and say, What? Solomon, who ruled Israel, who received wisdom and blessing of God in abundance, who kings and queens from the ends of the earth traveled to hear his wisdom, did what? The man endued with supernatural wisdom from heaven did what? That's basically what you say when you read 1 Kings 11. How is this possible? It's a question we all must tackle. I remember when a very popular minister was busted on his secret sin. Christians were in shock. How could this be? Come to find out he was in sin for five plus years. And I think that is the point we need to make. The Bible fails to lead up to Solomon's great sins. It just states them matter-of-factly. Heart conditions do not change overnight. They change over time, until they manifest into the natural. Actions are an overflow of the heart. While David stayed home in the spring, when the kings go out to war, Solomon loved many foreign women. In this episode, we discuss the slow burn of sin in Solomon's life, and put into context and take a practical approach and show how we must put up guards and how Solomon should have put up guards around his own heart. Proverbs 4.23 Above all else, guard your heart, and from it flow the springs of life. 1 Kings 18.21 Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. When we consider Solomon, we must understand nothing happens overnight. I'm going to give a scenario. No man decides to leave his wife and children overnight. Say you're married and you have kids and you have a friend who's apparently happy and has kids and married as well and you go to church together. In fact, you're in a home group and a Bible study together. All seems quite normal, but your friend tells you one morning he stayed up late last night with some old friends and had too much to drink. Red flag. The Bible doesn't necessarily say drinking is bad, but being drunk is. A few days later, your friend swears on accident. Red flag. But you don't think much of it until a few weeks later, your friend starts to look at women inappropriately. Red flag. You speak to your friend and he acts like nothing was different about him. He blows you off, yet continues to go to church with you and such. What's going on is your friend is living a double life. He has one step in the world and one step in the church. 
He's living double-minded. Solomon dabbles in disobedience as his palace is being built. But when the palace is complete, something breaks inside of him. He lives about 23 years incredibly. And this is something to consider. 1 Kings 1-10 through 10 is about a 23-year period. The rest of Solomon's reign gets so bad. It's like the writer of 1 Kings 11 wants to hurry up and finish the story of Solomon in one chapter. While the events of 1 Kings 1-10 through 10 last around 23 years, 1 Kings 11 covers about 15 years. So all the things from this chapter occur in great abundance and occur over a long period of time, though it's only one chapter. So let's talk about Solomon's heart. Solomon knows his obligation as king. Even the specific rules required by Moses do not accumulate gold, horses from Egypt, and foreign wives, but he does it anyways. By disobeying God, he fails to guard his heart from sin and darkness. So back to our scenario. Your friend eventually must decide what he wants. His heart is being pulled from both directions. Your prayers matter. They really do. Eventually, darkness empowered by sin will put demands upon a heart and pull it away from God, unless humility, prayer, and repentance restores the human heart and condition. Like Elijah said, there will be a day of decision. It's like Solomon dabbled into these three areas with slow diligence. Like a fire, he wondered how close he could get before touching it and getting burned. First, he married the princess of Egypt, which was a huge error because not only did this tie him spiritually unequally, yoking him, but it created an unhealthy alliance and an open door with Israel's neighbor and eventually opened the door wide for the horse trade, which broke another commandment for the kings of Israel. So while we're talking about the princess of Egypt, there's a really interesting story from the legends of the Jews related to the marriage day of Solomon and the princess of Egypt. According to the story, the marriage to the princess of Egypt occurred the day before the grand opening of the temple. Take this for the grain of salt it might be, but here's a story, and I think it's important because it throws around lightly the witchcraft, true or untrue, that foreign wives brought into Solomon's house. Here's the account. In the nuptial night, Pharaoh's daughter had her attendants play upon a thousand different musical instruments, which she had brought from her from her home. And as each was used, the name of the idol to which it was dedicated was mentioned aloud. The better to hold the king under the spell of her charms, she spread above his bed a tapestry cover studded with diamonds and pearls, which gleamed and glittered like constellations in the sky. Whenever Solomon wanted to arise, he saw these stars, and thinking it was night still, he slept until the fourth hour of the morning. The people were plunged into grief, for the daily sacrifice could not be brought on this very morning of the temple dedication, because the temple keys lay under Solomon's pillow, and none dared awaken him. Word was brought to Bathsheba, who forthwith aroused her son and rebuked him for his sloth. Thy father, she said, was known to all as a God-fearing man, and now people will say Solomon is the son of Bathsheba. It is his mother's fault if he goes wrong. Whenever thy father's wives were pregnant, they offered vows and prayed that a son worthy to be reigned might be born unto them. But my prayer was for a learned son, worthy of the gift of prophecy. Take care, 
Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to them that destroy kings. All right, so she continues with her rebuke of her son, and she tells him not to be like the other kings, and she ends with these words. Be not like unto them. He to whom the secrets of the world are revealed should not intoxicate himself with wine. So Solomon married the princess of Egypt, and there was the Shulamite and others, and over time he appeared to have enjoyed the benefits of marrying foreign princesses. So he entertained the idea of marrying Moabite, Edomite women, and many other women. So what's a few more? And a few more, and eventually it got out of hand. In fact, the biblical account is almost hard to fathom. Before we go there, let's remember our story. Red flags are like radar blips that signify potential threats and future harm for our heart and those around us. In the case of Solomon, he suffered from pride as well. In fact, it was a really big deal, actually. I didn't point this out before, but when Solomon opened the temple, his great declarations were powerful. But in them, there were strong red flags of pride. He declared, I have built this temple. I have done this for you. I have done this. I have done that for you, God. His use of personal pronouns portrayed a self-centered heart. It should have been, we built this temple, because it was a strong national effort with thousands participating in the construction of the temple. A king should be a humble leader. And he declared he built the temple, not the nation. I was really touched by something Daniel did in Daniel chapter 2. It was most remarkable. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon appears to have had a startling dream that was so powerful he was rattled to his core. But at the same time, it appears to have left his mind. Well, he commands his wise men to tell him the dream and then interpret it. None of them can do it. So he orders the death of the wise men in Babylon, including Daniel. Yes, that's what he does. He orders the death of his wise men for not telling him his dream and then interpreting it. Daniel seeks God and he learns from God the meaning and goes to the king alone and tells the king his dream and saves the lives of all the wise men of Babylon and himself and his friends. He goes to the king and tells him God has spoken to him and he tells him the dream. The king apparently recognizes the dream again, and immediately Daniel says this statement, and we will interpret it. When I read this, I looked around the room when I read it out loud, and I said, who is we? And I looked back, read the scripture again, and apparently he was alone with the king. I mean, I can't find any other, anything there. He went alone to the king. He was alone. But this was the power of knowing his God, that he possessed his presence. As he told the king, he came to a greater understanding of the presence of God around him, for he was operating in his gift of prophecy and interpretation of dreams, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he declared, not I, but we will interpret the dream. How powerful was this that Daniel had a true humility and understood his gift in the presence of God around him and upon him to declare, we will interpret your dream. Compare this use of the personal pronoun we with the obvious misuse of Solomon's I built the temple. I remember in junior high school, a coach of ours wore a t-shirt that read, Team 
in huge letters and me tiny below it. It's humility to work with a team. It's humility to know your place. It's pride to take more credit than is due us. It is pride to think more highly of ourselves. It puts our thoughts and wisdom higher than the wisdom of God. Because Solomon built the temple by himself, that's what he said, I built it, he probably inflated his own self-worth. For this statement in his own mind declares his thoughts were greater than God's thoughts. In the first of the Lord of the Rings movies, The Fellowship of the Ring, there's an incredible, powerful moment when Gandalf refuses to touch the ring of power because he understood the power of pride within him to seize and keep the power that it brought him. While many were destroyed by the ring, he understood its power, yet still refused to even be a part of it more than he had to. At this point, Solomon has soul ties with another kingdom, Egypt, and a wife and some more wives that don't believe in God, and we mix this with pride. All right, then add the horse trade, which represented strength and power and faith in your own strength over God's power. Next, add the gold that he saw every day, which rested upon the walls of the palace. Now we have greed as well. And greed never has enough. Now we've got greed, pride, demonic soul ties that run into the hundreds. Yuck. But balance this with God and his power and his might in Solomon's gift of wisdom. He can handle it, right? I'm working on a formula for the Christian walk. Not that you can really do this or account for everything, but, but why not try? Maturity occurs when character and prayer are greater than temptation. When you have the character of self-control, for example, you can say no to temptation. But when temptation piles higher than your accumulated character, only prayer can get you out of the pit. Sometimes I think God delays our deliverance so that we can sometimes battle and learn the character required to always say no to temptation. At this point, Solomon has extreme character in God's wisdom, but it's like he wanted to see if he could stretch it to the fullest. Take a rubber band, pull it to its breaking point. It's like Solomon, who had so much of God, he allowed temptation to pull at that rubber band until it eventually broke. And the temptation that he allowed opened doors into his heart wide open. And it was lust, in the end, that blinded him to turn away from God. Here is the sad account. 1 Kings 11 King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women, beside Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been.
That's what it said, 700 wives and 300 concubines. This statement that his heart was not fully devoted is an absolute understatement. I mean, a total understatement. It must have gotten so bad, fathers were probably hiding their daughters from him. He turned his palace into some kind of a harem. Gone were the courts of old and wisdom and amazement to the nations, as it slowly turned into some form of freak house with all sorts of nations and their worship all occurring next door to the temple of God. Here's the shocker of shockers. And you may have to read it for yourself to believe it. 1 Kings 11, 5. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On the hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all of his foreign wives, who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. It's just sad, 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 sad. The greatest of kings to this time fell to the temptations of the world and ended in spectacular disaster. Not only did Solomon turn from God, but he did it in such a fashion he bowed his knee to every god around, and he built altars to every foreign god at every high place in Israel. It's absolutely crazy to consider this. It says on the future Mount of Olives, he built a high place to another god. Not only did he turn from God, but in the end he became more of an enemy to God, building worship places to foreign gods. Every detestable practice of these foreign nations and religions was most likely allowed, which included child sacrifice and temple prostitution. The ancient Canaanite god Molech demanded child sacrifices, and he had a high place to Molech, which most likely allowed child sacrifice. The kingdom of Israel, built by David, was just surrendered by Solomon to dark forces because he loved many foreign women. At some point after the palace was built, he stretched himself and allowed his love for women to destroy him. In fact, he surrendered himself to his desires for foreign women and their worship and the power of hundreds of idol-worshipping wives pulled upon the husband and the wife's soul ties placed demands upon his heart he could not handle. If when a husband and wife marry to become one flesh, Solomon married away his anointing and gifting and faith in his God. His love for foreign women blinded him and turned his heart from the God of his father, David. And there's something I can't help but point out. 
Last episode, we spoke of Solomon representing the Lord's reign on earth in 1 Kings 10. What does 1 Kings 11 represent? There's a clue hidden in a mysterious number. Revelation 13.18 speaks of the mark of the beast, which most scholars agree is a requirement of the Antichrist at the end of the age to buy or sell food and anything on the open markets, and those without the mark of the beast will most likely be killed if they don't have the mark of the beast on their forehand or forehead. Revelation 13.18 declares this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. That number is 666. Okay, that's weird, right? I mean, it's weird. Well, where else do you find the number 666? One of them is the following scripture, Second Chronicles 9.13. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Isn't that fascinating? Solomon, who represented Christ's reign on earth, went so far at the end of his reign to represent the opposite spirit. The future Antichrist will be credited with rebuilding the Temple of Jerusalem, ruling over many nations through wealth and demonic miracles, Solomon, when he walks away from God, he becomes more of an enemy to God, building places of worship for dark forces, even across from the Temple of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Solomon stopped short of desecrating the Temple of Jerusalem, but he sure got close. The Antichrist will build a temple, a new temple in Jerusalem, and desecrate it. It's amazing to consider how far Solomon fell and how much an enemy of God he becomes and in a way, represents. So it's pretty much sad to see from here on out for Solomon. There's a definite downward slide until his death. There's an economic disaster, and there will be multiple rebellions, and a last-minute addition to Solomon's writings called the Book of Ecclesiastes, which we'll cover in the next episodes. So, before we conclude, there's an interesting question out there, and I'd like to ask the listeners. Despite of Solomon's actions and good deeds, and yet the disastrous turn at the end of his life, what do you think, listeners? Send me your thoughts. Maybe we'll take a poll. Here's the question. Did Solomon make it to heaven? And I will tell you, there's no right or wrong answer. I don't know for sure. It's more of an opinion, but let us know your thoughts. Did Solomon make it to heaven? Send us an email, message to kings at gmail.com. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, we have to consider Solomon's fall and ask ourselves some gut checking questions. Would you do the same as Solomon? Surely not. That's not possible unless you're some kind of a foreign land and, a, and you're a king, right? But most of us, that's not possible. Not possible to have many foreign wives, right? But it is possible. In today's world, it's called pornography. You can marry 700 women right now. Just get on the internet. One could consider polygamy today pornography. Seriously, it destroyed Solomon. 
Solomon, despite all of his giftings, didn't guard his heart, which is the wellspring of life. Solomon, who was devoted to God early in his reign, let his flesh and even his mind overpower him, allowing passivity to cover his heart. Solomon knew the requirements of a king, but he didn't obey them. It's like they were written just for him, yet he ignored them. So making this personal and declaring that you're a king, and as God has given you responsibility over your own heart and influence upon those around you, what rules has God written for you? Those rules are his word. Obey his word and do not defile yourself with the world. Establish guards around your heart so that the world cannot harm you. If sin blinded the wisest of men, we must guard our hearts to be men and women of God and not fall into temptation. So I'm sure you've watched the movie Courageous or some Christian movie about freedom from pornography. You get the drift. And I've given statistics before, and it's wonderful uh, that God has shined his light on the silent secret killer of Christians called pornography. So for this reason, it's probably just appropriate for this episode for us just to pray. So I'm going to pray specifically related to pornography and a guarding of our hearts. And I ask you to pray along with me. God, we pray for your light to shine. God, we pray for you to bring healing and wholeness to any listeners who has given their heart away through lust like Solomon did. God, we pray that you take away unhealthy, lustful desires and replace them with healthy, godly desires. God, we pray that you give us the full armor of God and you give us the mind of Christ. That freedom and the power of the word know in the name of Jesus rest upon our tongue when temptation comes near and you grant us the gift of discernment to know when we are tempted. Protect our children and families, co-workers and spouses from the tricks of the enemy and keep us from evil. Cancel plans of the enemy over our lives and release your destiny and purpose for us. God, as we learn the story of Solomon, let us not become prideful, arrogant, greedy, and lustful, and help us to guard our hearts from sin and darkness. Let us be a people that live life and life more abundantly. Thank you for your freedom in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to make a scheduling note regarding the next three months or so of podcast. We are actually moving from Northwest Arkansas to Seattle, Washington, and this is a work move. So shout out to the listeners in Seattle, Washington. If you're in Seattle, Washington, please shoot me an email at messagethekings at gmail.com. I also say this because our normal life and family and work schedule could be a bit out of whack for some months. So please forgive any long delays and forgive me if if you get podcast releases at weird times like a Tuesday night or something like that. The goal is to stick with weekly Saturday morning releases when feasible, but it's hard to say how regular we'll be as we transition as a family across the nation. We will see and thanks for your understanding.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, and I'm serious, if you're in the Seattle area, please email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.